Again, as we mentioned a few minutes ago, we have a unique format for tonight's service, and it's a Q&A format. And again, the goal of this format is to answer questions that you have had. And many of the questions that we're going to ask this evening were shared with us via email by you. So we appreciate you asking those questions and sending them in. But overall, the goal for tonight is to think biblically and to act biblically in a world at times that seems chaotic. So we have a panel here tonight with us. We have Pastor Scott Menez. He's been in pastoral ministry for over 30 years. Um, he's also the president of Christ Theological Seminary, and he has a beautiful wife, Gina. And we also have Pastor Scott, or Pastor Jason Carr, who's the president of, excuse me, not the president, but the headmaster of Riverbend Academy. And he's also been in pastoral ministry for 30 years. And Pastor Brian Sheely, who's also been in pastoral ministry for 30 years and is the academic dean of Christ Theological Seminary. So let's jump into our first question tonight. Um, one of the first questions um, is very pertinent, and a lot of people are curious in terms of Riverbend Community Church closed services and activities um, last week. And a lot of people are wondering, what was our thought process, or what was the pastors and elders' thought process as we made that decision to cancel services and activities here at church? Um, Pastor Scott, could you, could you lead in answering that question for us? Yeah, those are never easy decisions to be made. I, I think some people thought, well, hey, the government says this, we should do those things. But in all reality, we feel our charge is under God be, before it's under man. So we wanted to make sure we were right with, with the Lord and our choices of, of to shut down services. I think it's also another great case for eldership. As we sat in that meeting, and Bobby, you remember this, we are eight men sitting around the table praying and asking God to direct us. But there was lots of different views, you know, and I think none of them sinful, none of them wrong. Um, some were, hey, let's stay open until the cops come. Some say, oh, we need to be th thankful, thinking of those who are ill. And that's great, and none of those are really wrong. But what, it, what eldership does is you work through that together. Not one person has all those answers. And so plurality of elders worked hard to say, okay, what does the Bible say for us to do? And, and how do we react? Is this a gospel situation? Is this a health situation? All of those questions began to come on the table. And though we made a decision to stay open maybe one Sunday longer than others, did we ultimately made a decision that a lot of churches did but we didn't feel pushed was that without we we didn't make our decision based on other churches we made our decision based on what we saw in the scriptures and as we worked through that together and i think that was very important and there's a lot of passages maybe you guys want to talk about what led us to some of those decisions yeah i would say that you know first of all we want to do what the scriptures tell us to do what god in his word says and so we did we looked at all the different passages uh, we looked at Romans chapter 13 uh, especially uh, and you know the government at that time was giving guidelines and so you know initially you start thinking well it says to submit to authorities and obey them but at this point uh, there was not really a command to obey but one thing that we did notice down in verses 7 and following it it talks about honoring the government as well. So we did, that was one thing that kind of swayed us uh, in that direction because we, we do want to honor our president. We do want to honor our governor and the scriptures tell us that we should pray for them as well. And so that was, that was one facet of it. And then, and then the lo love your neighbor, consider others first. The, the reason the government was recommending not meeting was to, to try to not spread the virus and harm our elderly and others. So it wasn't a, a command not to, or a recommendation not to meet to stop preaching Christ or to not worship the Lord, uh, and that helped us. And it was, but it wasn't easy for, I don't think, any of us in that room. We were all struggling with, don't forsake the assembly together, and, and, uh, and this really isn't forsaking it. Um, but still, that, that, that scripture in Hebrews emphasizes the importance of us gathering together, and so we struggled with, we're not gonna be able to physically be in the same place and so it wasn't an easy decision, but... Yeah, and so what, I've, what I heard, and just to maybe summarize, is that there were a group of men who knew the scriptures and wrestled with the scriptures. But in the final analysis, the final decision, 
um, two underlying principles from Scripture kind of stood out. And one of them is the law of Christ. And under the law of Christ, we are to love others as we love ourselves. And so if we generally love and care for the safety of our community, we need to consider that as Christians. That's an important principle for us to think through. But also the biblical principle that we see in Romans 13 about showing honor to government. So the law of Christ, honoring our government, getting together as elders, really led our decision to cancel activities and church services here at Riverbank Community Church. Is that fair? Yeah. And, and another passage that goes along with the Romans 13 passage is found in 1 Peter chapter 2. In verse 13, it starts the same language Peter uses and says, submit to yourself to the Lord's, for the Lord's sake, for every hymn. Uh, human institution, whether kings or authorities. But then it goes down, eventually ends in verse 17, the context there, it says, honor all people. And I think this is what you're talking about. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Um, so I, I think we did that. Uh, that. That was what led us to that decision. Now, I think what we're doing as elders is we're, we're not committed just to sit back and say, well, we'll just whatever happens. So we meet every Monday. And if we felt that we were being pushed beyond what God wants us to do in these texts, we would call the church back together. So each time we convene and we pray and we discuss and look at the situation we're at, how, did, how are we doing with the church spread apart and make those decisions? It's, for me, uh, as a teaching pastor, to be surrounded with men to sit through and work through those difficult situations and hear wisdom from each of the different men, that brings such comfort. And, and, I, and I hope, church family, I would, I would say to you, I hope you're comforted that your elders don't take this lightly. We just don't go with the crowd. We, we are serious about making sure we made the right decision. And, and, and these are the verses that led us to some of that. And, and I think also from a practical standpoint for the believer, it's so important us, for us to remember not to make decisions just because other people are making decisions but we're looking at what does the Bible say. And we're not allowing culture to dictate how we practice life, but the scriptures to dictate how we practice life. And so even when it comes to canceling church services and how we live our Christian life, it's dictated by God's word. Were you going to add something, Pastor Brian? Yeah, I was going to say, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty in regard to this. You know, we don't know anything about this. A lot of people, you know, seemingly don't know much about the coronavirus. And so they're gathering information. So we deferred to those who do know something, you know, it's a very unique situation. If we came, if you knew that you had a contagious illness, then the way to love your fellow brothers and sisters in the church would be for you to stay away. Uh, well, in this case, we had to assume that we all could be the carriers of that contagious disease. And so uh, it's, it was best, at least initially with the uncertainty, to stay away from each other. Right. So also considering the experts in the field, the health experts. And that's one of the things that we did consider in that meeting as well. Right. So that's a good ad for sure. So the next question is this. When is it sinful not to have service? When is it sinful not to meet as a church? Maybe you can add some clarity for that question. If, of course, just personally, if, if, we're just neglecting to, to come to the gathering of God's people. Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 makes clear that that, that would be a sin. Uh, as James says in James 4, 17, you know what is right to do and do not do it. That, for you, it is sin. And God clearly indicates where to gather together. So if it's just a, I don't want to go, I'd rather do something else, um, and, and we, we fall into a pattern of that, that's we're in a sinful state there would be one example on a personal level. Now, as a church decision, um, I, I think the distinction would be if, if we're being asked not to meet uh, in opposition to our worship of Christ or proclamation of Christ or proclamation of the exclusivity of Christ or you know, anything else from God's word, if we're being said, you can't say that or you can't meet to do that, that's where we would have to say we obey God, not man, like, like the apostles did in Acts 5. When they said, stop preaching this name, they said, we have to obey God, not man. And I, I think that Acts 5 reference is a very good text for us because at that point, they had, if you remember the story, it's, it's quite comical. They had thrown Peter and John into prison 
when they went to get them, they weren't there. The angel had let them out. And, and then while they're discussing where they had been, some guy runs up and says, hey, you know the guys you're looking for? They're over preaching the gospel. And so they brought him in and really let him have it for it. And, and that's when they make that great statement. It's more important. But what they particularly said to them um, was that they, they were not to preach in this name, which would certainly be the gospel, the glory of Christ, the person of Christ. And, and that was their response. We must obey God rather than men. And that's when it becomes sinful, when we are not allowed to preach the gospel. I, I, I think we're doing a pretty good job in our circumstances preaching the gospel. I listened to um, our director of youth today put out a, a video. I listened to our director of worship today put out a video. And every time those guys preach the gospel to to a group that they're trying to reach and encourage, and, and I think we're doing that. Um, and so God is still allowing us to fulfill our ministry. So I think we haven't crossed that sinful line at this point. Yeah. Could, I, could I clarify what I said a minute ago on the personal level? Hmm. Uh, there, there certainly are cases, I know some of our members who can't, who aside from coronavirus, can't come to service anymore, and they hate that, yeah. but because of their health or there's some issue that prevents it, they're not sinning. Because they're not neglecting, they're not forsaking the assembly. They just cannot, mm. and they desire to be there, and they're they're still faithful to the Lord. That's not a sin. Right. It's not a sin not to be here. Yeah. It's a sin to forsake being here. Yeah, right. that's mm. a good clarification. Uh, just a couple of real quick things. Uh, one is that it's going to require a lot of ingenuity as we go forward, and uh, we need wisdom. We don't have all the answers at this point, but uh, it. We understand all of our responsibilities to meet, to shepherd, and keep watch over the flock, and, and to teach, and to exhort, and all these things still have to happen, uh, whether that means some smaller gatherings at some point or, or whatever. Um, it's it's a incumbent upon leaders to figure out how do we go forward in doing that. A second thing I would just challenge everybody with, before you couldn't meet, how important was it to meet? Mm. You know, we're, you know, now you're saying, well, I can't come to church, but did you, in your Christian life, make it an absolute priority that I've got to be there? And there's so many different reasons we could go over about why you need to be meeting corporately with the body of Christ. But this should be a real gut check. You know, how important is it when nobody's or nothing's keeping me from it? How easy is it for you not to be there? That's such a good thought. We've got to ride on this a little bit. Mm-hmm. That we were talking about the difference between our public worship and our private worship. And this might expose some of that. It might expose it in our families as well. And then, Jason, you said a word that really made me think about this. You said, well, you said the biblical word forsake. So if, and jump on this with me, guys. If we are the, the bride of Christ, that makes him our groom. And we forsake to submit to him, forsake, to, to assemble with him, to live with him in a sense. We, that's uh, paramount to what we would do with church discipline, right? In a husband-wife situation. And so I don't think people see the vividness of that. And that's why we're portrayed as husbands and wife, as pictures of Christ and his church. And then to forsake, for a wife to forsake a, a living with her husband, or vice versa. But here in the setting of the church. To forsake is a strong word, isn't it? Yeah. Forsa- I'm going to forsake my corporate responsibility, my, re- my responsibility of, of being saved by my Savior to meet and worship Him and adore Him and to serve Him, to care for Him. It's a strong word. And I don't think people often think about that when they get in the habit of saying, well, you know, I got something else to do. Yeah, I, think, I think we think about how many sins we commit by just not gathering for corporate worship and being mm. part of the body of Christ, you know, practicing your one another's, practicing your spiritual gifts, submitting to your elders, receiving teaching, uh, being part of the body that would practice church mm. discipline, and it just goes on and on, you know, people don't, and, and people who are driven by pragmatism or consumerism in regard to finding a church uh, may never come back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Want to yeah. maybe switch gears a little bit, and I think this next question for those who might be listening who aren't Christians uh, but still have questions about God, it, it seems like anytime something bad happens in the world, the common question that I hear, and I'm sure many of you at home hear, is, is this: 
where is God? Um, and trying to wrestle with what is God's involvement in coronavirus? What is God's involvement in typhoons and different things? So the next question is this, and I think it's a very pertinent, very relevant question for today is, what is God's involvement with wars and pandemics? Very heavy question. What is God's involvement? Is he passive? Is he active in the current situation? Um, how can I explain all this to maybe a curious friend or even how, how can I explain this to comfort another Christian? Um, jump in anytime. Yeah. Why don't you start? Could you? Sure. Well, I can tell you, you know, that, that's a good question. And I, I know a lot of people wrestle with these things, but um, I think we've got to start with a big God. You know, that, that God is awesome. He is sovereign. One thing I'm confident of that he's doing in all these things is that he's causing all things to work after the counsel of his will. That he's causing all things to work together for good for those who are in Christ Jesus and to conform them to the image of his will. And God is actively working in every single individual person's life on this whole planet. That's right. At the exact same time. Mm -hmm. And he is accomplishing a million things or a billion things or however many people there are on this, on this earth, you know, simultaneously. You know, uh, Job says uh, that the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. You know, uh, Jesus says that his eye, you know, he, he sees a sparrow that falls from the sky. You know, that God is into the details of the fabric of every single person's life. And it's beautiful that there can be some judgment. There can be some uh, timing for someone to uh, come to the end of their life. You know, Job said, you know, blessed be the name of the Lord if, if, he, if we, re we should receive good and bad from the Lord. But you can know if you're a believer that the Lord is working all of this together for your sanctification. Amen. Well said. And I, to add on to that, I, I don't think we fully grasp depravity in what it's done to our world, to our own thinking. So here's this great God who knows everything about us. He knows every fiber. He's He's known us before there was any days. He knows how long our days will be. Uh, he's intricately involved with all of our lives. So well said. But at the same time, when we get to passive and active here, um, I don't think we quite understand the depth of depravity. When man fell, oh my goodness, it just, everything came apart. There's so many problems that come with depravity because I still think most people think we're good. We're, we're most of us in the world are good people. You'll, you'll hear that said. Nobody deserves what's happening. Right? Yeah, nobody deserves it. And, and yet that's not what the Bible says at all. The Bible reminds us that we are deprived. And so sometimes when we think about the word passive, like God, is God passive in this? Well, part of it is he just lets man's sinfulness take its course. And in some ways, he just has, it, the world is groaning over the sin of man. And I, I was thinking of passages as you, were think, as you were talking there, Brian, that Paul warns us not to be like the pagans, not to walk in the fertility of our mind. Being, this is how he describes us before salvation, being darkened in our understanding. So we ask a question like this, people go, if there's a real God, why does he allow these to happen? Well, your mind's already darkened to this real God who loved his creation, gave his creation everything possible for it to love him and to walk, and yet they rejected him. And so now we're darkened in our understanding. Then it says this, excluded from the life of God. Well, that's going to be really difficult to understand those things. And so God is often blamed, or, or he doesn't care, or he's deistic in, in the fact that he's somewhere set apart. And then it says, because of the hardness of our hearts, we've become callous and been given over to sensuality and the practice of all kinds of impurity and greed. And it just goes on and on, right? So depravity has such a role here. And, and that's why we need a savior. And that's why we're here tonight. This is why we want people to hear this. We, we realize what's going on in our world, whether it's a hurricane spinning off the Atlantic Ocean and ready to slam into Florida, or it's a virus that's moving around the world, we need a savior. Mm. We, we have to have someone who will save us from our sins and, and will someday take us to be with him and, and give us a new world. 
And you mentioned the fallenness of creation. You know, the fall has its effects upon creation. And, and the groaning you mentioned in Romans chapter 8, uh, it's for a purpose. They're yeah. looking for the, all of creation's groaning for the revelation yeah. of the sons of God. The, the glorification of his people. So God has a redemptive purpose even for the coronavirus. Yes. You know, it comes out of fallenness of the world, but you know, there you have a lot of groaning going on in Romans chapter eight. You've got the, the earth groaning, all creation. You've got the Holy Spirit praying for us and, and groaning's too deep for understanding. And then you have uh, that we groan ourselves as we're in the flesh. But it's God who's gonna conform us to the image of Christ. And so he has a great redemptive plan. So, so what I think and, I heard, and this is how I try to explain it to other people, is yes, God is completely sovereign, but he's never so sovereign in a sinful way. Yes. Um, and I think that's so important because yeah. some people will say, well, the bad that's happening in the world today is attributed to God. And no, it's not. And I think that's why your point is yeah. so important. It's attributed to the sinfulness of man. And right. I think that's an important thing that we need to keep in the right departments. Yes. And at times, and you, and you hit on this too, Pastor Brian, is I think, that I'm, I think sometimes we don't clearly see the redemptive purpose in what God's doing at the same time. And sometimes I always go back to the cross itself. Because if you and I and everyone who is watching online today, if we were at the cross and we saw this horrific event unfolding before us, a man being tortured to death, suffocating to death, a crown of thorns on his head, pierced in his hands and his feet and his side, many of us would say, where is God? But in the fullness of time, there was a redemptive purpose there. And that redemptive pur purpose was to redeem man through the sacrifice of Christ. What a beautiful event. So I think there's a lot of things that we need to keep clear when we think about tragedy in the world today. Number one, God is sovereignly in control. Number two, who's attributed to the sin in this world? It's not God. It's, it's man. And number three, there's oftentimes a redemptive purpose that we might not see at that time that we need to consider. And the best illustration for us to consider is the cross of Christ. Pastor Jason, were you going to add something to that? Yeah, a couple of thoughts. One, um, amen to all of this. Um, and, and scripture, like like. James 1.13, let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. Um, but he's sovereign. Ephesians 1, he works, 1.11, he works all things according to the counsel of his will. Uh, Isaiah 45, he brings calamity. He's, he's sovereign over sin, he's sovereign over evil and suffering, but he, he does not sin in that. Mm -hmm. um, and, and just one other thought, you, know, you mentioned every single person. It's not just worldwide, just kind of philosophical ivory tower thoughts about this. It's every person experiences the results of a fallen world of sin. Mm. Their own sin brings suffering. Sins of others directly to them bring suffering. And just the fallen world brings suffering like disease. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's personal. You know, I, when my father died, he was a 32-year-old young man who loved Christ fighting for his country in Vietnam, three, loved his wife, three children, and he was killed. Mm. Where's, where's God in that? Mm. Um, could be the question, but he was there. Mm. He, he was there, he was with us. He, I, I saw my mom cling to Christ and quote, he's the father to the fatherless defender of widows. And mm. uh, he, it's the alternative of is it blind chance? Is mm -hmm. it uh, some kind of cruel fate? No. Mm -hmm. God, God is sovereign over evil things. Well, someone said, well, there's, there's much evil greater than that, and there is. Mm -hmm. um, you know, many people will think of the Holocaust. Mm -hmm. you, you've got people being just cruelly murdered for their ethnicity mm -hmm. or for their Christianity, mo motivating them to help uh, their, their Jewish neighbors, um, just this, this is such evil. And, and you have an E.B. Wiesel who, who reacted to that forsaking God, just denying, trying to deny God. And then you have a Corey Ten Boom because she knew Christ by his grace come out of that closer to him, trusting him. Um, it's, 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 it's every situation is personal, even in this. 
There's that personal element people struggle with, but the answer is the same, which is what you were summarizing. Yeah. It's Christ, and it's his gospel, and it's we find life in him no matter what the suffering is. Yeah. I think, and I love this question because, and I really charge the church to listen closely to the, some of the wisdom that's here coming from God's word is because we're always going to get asked these questions, whether it's the coronavirus or a hurricane or my grandmother died or my dad died serving the country. Um, we're always going to get these, and it's a great opportunity to talk about why we need a Savior. So, I mean, people come up to us all the time and say, well, I, I tried to read the Bible, but there was death and rape and murder, and it's just full of that stuff. And they go, oh, isn't that true? Mm. And they don't expect you to kind of really agree with them. Mm. And, and yet you're going, because the Bible is painting a true picture of man and our situation and our problems that we have. Mm. And so it's driving us to someone who can rescue us, Amen. driving us to the cross, driving us to one who can, only one who can help us. Because if we look at the situation, we look at a virus, that a real good friend was a missionary doctor in Haiti for a lot of years, this is years ago. I remember him telling me, he goes, Scott, there are so many airborne viruses out there that we in the medical field know about that we're scared to tell the public. Mm. And, and, you know, because that's what happens. A fallen world's creating these type of things. And, and so what does it do? Oh, God, trust. It causes us to run to him. As Christians, we plead, Lord, protect our families, protect our church family, protect this person we're sharing the gospel with. It causes us to be so dependent upon him. But boy, when we look at sin in the Bible, we go, I need a savior. And nobody has saved. Nobody ever is going to get to heaven who didn't know they were a sinner and knew Amen. that their sin caused Christ's death and that he was the only answer to that sin. Nobody's going to get there unless they know that. So it's a great question, and we, and we have to field this and be ready to talk about these things. Yeah. And I love the reality that God does not leave us alone in our sin Yeah, because he'd be perfectly justified in doing so. And as I, as a Christian, read the Old Testament and I see some of the horrific things that people have done from King David, from taking another man's wife and then killing him, but yet, God sovereignly saved him, gave him a new heart, new desires, and new ambitions. And when I start looking at my life and the sins that I've committed and continue to commit, a sovereign God is actively involved in my heart, changing me to be more like Christ. And in those moments, I'm so grateful for his sovereignty, but also in those moments, I see his grace so brightly. Um, did you want to add anything else, Pastor Brian? If not, we can jump into the next no. question. Correct. All right, next question is this, and um, I think all of us might see this in the world that we live in. Um, there's almost two types of people um, in response to coronavirus. Um, person number one will be this. I'm just trusting God. I'm going everywhere, sneezing on everything and touching everything. God is going to protect me, right? We probably know of those guys. Then you have the other person who is just locked down with fear. Um, trying to take matters into their own hands. Um, they are antibacterial their hands, if that's even a word, every two seconds. They're using sanitizing wipes. So as the Christian, and uh, this is a great question that someone sent in, as a Christian, in light of coronavirus, how do I balance trusting God, but also being responsible at the same time? Are those two different departments? Do they overlap? How should a Christian operate in this current environment. Good, uh, Philippians 4, 6 and 7. If you weren't able to tune in Sunday to Pastor Scott's sermon, look it up and, and listen to that. Don't be anxious. Pray. Trust the Lord and have his peace. But then on the other side, Jesus said in Matthew 4, 7, don't put the Lord your God to the test. Mm. Um, and, and even biblically, there's leprosy in, in Leviticus 13 isolate so mm -hmm. even quarantining is exampled in, in the scripture Paul to Timothy take a little wine for your stomach mm -hmm. would point to medication mm -hmm. properly used can be so there is a balance there mm -hmm. walk in trust and faith but mm -hmm. don't be yeah. irresponsible yeah. Yeah. that's good when Jesus healed the, the lepers he said go show yourself to the priest, there was a there was a protocol to go to handle things correctly, and the Lord was there to fulfill the law, not abolish it. And so He had a protocol for them to do. Now, for, unfortunately, nine of them forgot to come back and thank Him, <laughs> um, and the one is remembered. But 
there is a protocol of that, and that had been set to protect the nation from the spreading of disease. Uh, in the, and so they were, they were quarantined men who were in desperate need of someone to heal them. And, and again, Christ did. That's a good one. You probably have something to add to this, Brian. Yeah, just uh, very basic. The two extremes you gave there uh, could be balanced by simply Ephesians 5 talks about walking in wisdom, mm -hmm. that uh, we need to apply all that we know. And the two issues there have to do with uh, heart issues. One is fear, mm -hmm. and Dr Jason addressed the anxiety part of that. The other is pride, mm -hmm. really. Uh, if I'm this bold person that doesn't care about anybody or anything or, you know, I'm walking in pride, I'm not going to get this. You know, all of that's not depending on the Lord. It's not loving people. Yeah. So, Brian, you and I talked about um, Spurgeon. Mm -hmm. When Spurgeon had basically a pandemic uh, cholera across the river from them and how they handled it as a church, how they instructed their church. And of course, this is 1800s. Um, but they also weren't afraid as leaders to go into those homes and pray for the dying. And so I think that's a different boldness versus an arrogance or a pride that if somebody is sick, I don't think we as pastors would hesitate. Mm -hmm. And I know many of our people in our church wouldn't hesitate to go and minister to that sick person. And, and as we study some of the pandemics that were through church history, we saw that a lot of church people died because they did go try to help and show mercy, but they were willing to do that. Mm -hmm. I think that's a whole different mm -hmm. role, but I really like that, the, the verse, pride and fear, those type of things, um, yet a, a type of submission to what the Lord would want us to do. Go show yourself, quarantine yourself, then go show yourself mm -hmm. to it. And uh, these are times where, who knows, if this thing went on, how would we react? And uh, you know, who of us would go to go visit somebody who was really sick and need, was pleading for their pastor to come pray with them and be with them? I, I, think, I think our pastors would go. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think there's just two important elements of the Christian life, which is trust and obey. Trust in the sovereignty of God. He knows what he's doing. I have confidence in him, but that doesn't mean I'm just hands off. In response to his sovereignty, I'm obeying that human responsibility part. And so they both coexist in Scripture, where we are to trust God, but also be wise and discerning in how we operate in the world around us. I think, um, so, I think you're talking about Psalms 37, aren't you? <laughs> because it says, do not fret, verse 1, verse 3, trust in the Lord, for delight yourself in the Lord. That's why we're doing worship, and we think it's important that we're, we're live streaming, but we're asking our worship team to help us in that. We're delighting in the Lord as we worship. Commit your ways to the Lord. Um, rest in the Lord. Th those things, I think, are part of what we do. And, and when I'm around my brothers and sisters in the Lord, and even though we may be doing it like this or phone calls or emailing or texting one another, it's encouraging me. Pastor, I'm, I'm resting in the Lord. I don't know how this is all going to work out, but I'm resting in the Lord. I've had our own, our own members tell me those things. Mm -hmm. I'm trusting in the Lord. Um, and that's, it's a great opportunity to see these truths lived out. Yeah. Well, I think up to this point, uh, we've done a pretty good job of how to think biblically in light of the current environment. And no matter what situation that we face as Christians, how do we think biblically? We trust a sovereign, loving, and gracious God, but we're also responsible to live out our faith. But the next group of questions relate to practically how, even how more specifically do I live out the Christian life? And I really like this question that was sent in to one of our members, and this is the question. It says, in light of coronavirus, I think a lot of people too are having opportunities to share their faith, because a lot of people are afraid. They are anxious. And they look to perhaps some Christians who are calm and collective and trust in God. And for many of us, that's going to present opportunities to present our faith to other people. And so this is the question. I think it's a good one. How can I practically share my faith with a community around me? Um, do you have any examples that you can reference? Um, this is a great question. So if you are counseling maybe someone in our church, how can they actively share their faith and maybe give them an example of a recent maybe gospel conversation that you've had that could be used for maybe a source of encouragement. Um, yeah, Pastor Brian. I kind of like to share uh, an acronym that I have that uh, I believe there are five pathways into sharing the gospel. Sometimes people don't know what to talk about or how to get started and that sort of thing. And, and the, the acronym is AIMS, 
A-I-M and the two S's. And the A stands for anxiety. You know, in this type of situation, obviously you're gonna have a lot of anxiety, fear, worry, and trying to uh, help somebody, you know, you're trying to understand where they're at, what their fears are. And, and also in all of these, you should make sure to share your own experiences and your own fears and what you struggle with because that shows them that Christianity is not some pie in the sky, you know, better than you, a perfect standard of living, but that we struggle, but we have the answer and it is a sovereign God. And then that leads you to the gospel. The, the I stands for identity. You know, people struggle with their identity as to what, what they are and, and who am I and what, do I, um, what am I doing, you know, where did I come from, you know, all of these types of things. And people tend to put their identity in uh, things that don't matter. They're not of eternal value and that sort of thing. And, uh, and then the M has to do with meaning. People are looking for meaning in life. Uh, there was a, a recent example where I was walking around the block with this guy who's an unbeliever, and he had, uh, a, a year before, he had tried to commit suicide. And I was just talking with him, and uh, I said, well, what keeps you living today? And he said, I really don't have any purpose. I just decided that it's better to live than to die. You know, so mm -hmm. he did value living, but you know, that led to the gospel to talk about you know, that God's created us in his own image. And then that led to uh, teach, telling him about God, about Christ, and about sin and our need. And then... The, the two S's are suffering. In this time, you, you definitely have a lot of suffering that you can talk about. People have loss of jobs. They have, may have the coronavirus. They may have had a loss of a family member. These are good avenues. And the, the final one is satisfaction. What gives you the greatest satisfaction in life? You know, what makes you happy? What gives you joy? What brings you peace? Those kinds of things. You know, what, what do you, what's your idea of love? And, uh, of course, all five of those lead right naturally into uh, gospel opportunities. Mm. Yeah, thank you. Aims, two S's. That's really good. Thank yeah. you. I'm memorizing that in my head. <laughs> um, I, something that could connect to that, I think, is I remember years ago reading uh, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones talking about just the seize the opportunities. And mm -hmm. I think he mentioned a back, you know, your backyard fence neighbor conversation. Mm -hmm. He says, typically, uh, something in the news, something of current events is going to come up. And he says, be ready with, with Scripture mm. to, to, that connects to that, which would connect one of those letters will probably connect to any current event. And, and right now, the little bit we interact with others <laughs> and all the social distancing, but uh, what's going to be the conversation? Mm. COVID-19. Mm. And, and it brings up the reality of death mm. it's, it's very you know we're trying to prevent that so it's very conscious in, in everybody's mm. mind and it does, definitely opens up yeah doors yeah. paul said to in the end of philippians said to no colossians i gotta go back sorry about that but be ready to give mm. an answer for the hope that is yeah it's in the end of colossians chapter four the hope that is within you mm -hmm. and they're just there's nobody in the world like a Christian, a true born-again believer who has hope. What is the coronavirus going to do to me? Mm -hmm. And we talked about that on Sunday, that death, physical death is, yeah, I don't think any of us want to die, but it leads to eternity. And I think I've sat with a few people that have actually had to say that, that were afraid of death. And I said, Sit laying in the hospital bed said, you know, brother, I love you, and I don't want the Lord to take you. I want to continue to have a relationship with you, but what's the worst thing that can happen to you? Mm -hmm. So there is a hope within us, but I think that just is in, in everyday life. Um, I, as I thought about this, just listening to you two brothers talk, I think one of the things that we have that God has made readily available to those who interact with us is the fruit of the Spirit. So as you're walking with that man around the block or whatever the case may be, or you meet somebody in the uh, grocery store and you keep your social distancing, but, but they see there's something unique about this. This person loves me. He's, con he's concerned about my life. He has joy, which I, I have some happiness 
and maybe even some sin or, or it, my family gives me a little bit of happiness or something, but I don't have that joy uh, and I don't have peace. But this person's at peace. They're not afraid to die. He just told me he's not afraid to die because he knows where he's going. I don't know where I'm going. Evolution tells me I go into the dust and I die and I just... But that's not a lot of hope. <laughs> and here's, here's a guy walking around the block telling me, well, let me tell you about the hope within me. So I think there's a fruit of spirit that Christians should have, particularly in this time. I, I think I said something in the sermon one of these last couple of weeks where it was in the store and I just realized I'm standing there and there's people that are... They're afraid, and they're like, if you get close to them, they give you an angry look. And I said, let's turn on the joy, <laughs> you know. And so, and it got contagious, and and you know, around people. Use yeah. that word. Yeah, sorry, couldn't use the word contagious. Uh, fruit of the spirit should be contagious with believers, at least. And um, and and I, I know that's what God wants, and He uses our daily lives, and it just leads to conversations. If you see somebody who's really hurting, you should say, "Here, you're okay." And uh, and, and then let the fruit of the Spirit just do its work. It, it, it's built into us. That's the Holy Spirit. I do want to say a couple of things on this because I love the subject. Yeah. And rain me in if I go for too <laughs> okay. long. And that's why I probably love this question. But um, I think when we evangelize and we engage with other people sharing our faith, I once heard it told that evangelism is like an airplane that has two wings. Wing number one is your lifestyle. Do you love other people? Um, does your lifestyle show that you have peace with God? And how can I show other people that I love them at the store? Give them your time. If I'm at the store, what am I going to do? I'm going to try to stop, seize an opportunity, and ask somebody a question. If you are taking time, and everyone's so busy, but if you take time to engage with another person and you're intentional, immediately you're showing them that you care about them. You're being loving. So that's one aspect. That's one wing of that plane. But the other one, the Bible tells us that no one comes through faith unless they hear the word of God. Well, there's other avenues that God uses, but sharing the gospel is an avenue. So evangelism includes lifestyle and lips. You got to live a godly lifestyle, but you also have to use your lips to communicate the gospel with other people. And what happens a lot is we can engage in conversation and say, hello, how are you? Tell me about your grandkids at the store. How are you doing economically with coronavirus? But as I'm having those conversations, I'm a leader in the conversation. And that means as a leader in the conversation, I'm leading the conversations towards what? The gospel, towards God. And so ultimately, as they're telling me about coronavirus, I'll ask a question like this. How is God relating to your security right now as you think about coronavirus? A very open-ended question, and it will give them an opportunity to respond. But ultimately, everyone has to deal with the issue of life and death. And as they express to you their views on God, there's a question that I ask all the time. I ask people this question. At the grocery store, I ask it everywhere. And God's given me great opportunities to ask this question. In your personal opinion, what do you think it takes for a person to go to heaven? See what they say. It's a very non-threatening question. And you can ask for permission to ask that question and just listen and see what happens. And, um, and this can happen anywhere, friends. Um, I had someone, you know, one of the most busiest people in the world are Amazon delivery truck people. Agreed? Mm -hmm. Those Amazon guys, they're running everywhere, in and out, in and out. We had an Amazon guy coming to our house the other day. And he ran up with the box, gave it to me, and I said, whoa, 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 wait. I wanted to show him love. Ran inside, gave him a chocolate bar. And as I gave him the chocolate bar, I said, hey, inside this chocolate bar is a gospel track. And the gospel track tells us this. We're all sinners. We're all in need of God's forgiveness. You should put your trust in Christ. All that happened in five minutes. So these opportunities to share our faith in our community are everywhere. We just got to seize the opportunities, show love, but also use our lips to communicate the gospel. I'm going to stop because there's more I can say, but we'll keep yeah. going. All right, um, our next Good. question is this, um, and I think it's a very important question. Um, at home, as a lot of people may, maybe aren't working, they're spending more time with their kids, more times with their spouse, um, more times with friends. Um, and in this current environment, I think a lot of times— the weaknesses in your own spiritual life or your own weaknesses in your own life tend to be ex to exposed. Um, and this can lead to a lot of different things. Um, maybe my husband's not as great as I thought he was. My kids aren't great. And in the midst of all these different things that are surrounding us, I might even go as far as questioning, is God really that good? Is God a good God? So if you're dealing with someone or you're talking with a friend who's really not doing well right now, 
and perhaps suffering mentally and spiritually, and even so much to the extent they're questioning the goodness of God. Um, how do I minister to that person? What do I say? Maybe you can give me some tips on how I can lift that person up using some scripture, or how would you lead into that conversation? Maybe you can jump in, Pastor Yeah, yeah it, you said something that's very important, I think is really the key of it, is eventually these situations deteriorate where they begin to question the character of God. And, and that's, the, that's when we usually get involved somewhere along that line. They finally come into the office, they're exasperated with their marriage, um, their family, whatever the situation be, and then, then you throw in a coronavirus, family's home, kids are home, you're trying to homeschool for the first time, uh, you're finding that there's challenges in there and some of your sin is being surfaced. Uh, and it's trials that God often brings in our life to help us look at sin. And if this is a person who is a Christian, if this, is, this question is along that line, we, we, we take this opportunity to say that God does arise difficult situations in our life to help us see areas that we do not glorify Him. But unfortunately, when we don't deal with it, what we do is we begin to question the character of God, not our character. And and that's the result of not dealing with sin um, in it. And so, first of all, we have to go back and help that person realize, whoa, whoa, God is perfect in all that He does. Mm. We may not understand that. We may not even grasp that perfection and, and not even understand that that's good for me, what he's put me in. But we have to help them see the character of God. Mm. That the problem is not God. <laughs> he, he's right in all he does. The problem is this situation, whether it's, you know, we're cap, captive in our homes or whatever it may be, has brought to light things that are contrary to God's character. Mm. And... And if we're a Christian, then we would want that exposed, and we would want to deal with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's hard. That's, that's hard to do. I think a lot of people live in relationships that are having a lot of difficulties, but they just kind of go on. But every once in a while, God will bring something along where, whether it's a car accident or a wreck or, or some kind of illness to help bring sin to the surface so they'll deal with it. Mm-hmm. And, and I would encourage anyone who's seen these things that they would, they would seek counsel and seek help. Mm. God has unique roles for us to mm. do as husbands and wives and children and, and relationship from singles to singles and so forth. They're, they're unique roles to bring Him glory. But sin disturbs all of that. Mm. And, and things like this virus will often bring that to the surface and they'll realize there's great tension there. Mm. And the love of God is not evident to them. Mm-hmm. That's what sin will do. It'll take mm-hmm. you away from the very clear teachings of who God is and cause us to, to look a, uh, against that. Let me set that up, and you guys keep carrying that. You want to add to that? Yeah. Um, in some ways, the question about pandemics and wars, all that we discuss there can apply yeah, yeah. To, to a suffering in a marriage. Yeah. And that certainly does happen, where one spouse suffers in some ways from their, their spouse. Um, and, but God's, God's goodness is still there. You know, it, we were in Romans 8 earlier with the earlier discussion in verse 18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that's to be revealed to us. Mm. God, God will vindicate his goodness. Mm. He doesn't need to, but he will. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he's going to fulfill all the promises. He will work it all together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Mm. The, the list at the end of the chapter, that beautiful, nothing will separate us from love of Christ, c- contains a lot of suffering. Yeah. Uh, and so, sometimes it's our expectations. We, we yeah. want everything the way we want it now. And now, but there's real suffering, and I, I like what you said. Seek biblical counsel. Seek, seek help. Sure. Uh, because it's not easy to walk through some of these things. So, so again, I'm dealing with a friend who's perhaps questioning the goodness of God. And I'm just going to highlight a couple of things that you can, you've said already, just to summarize. And Pastor Brian, I hope you can jump in. Is, is this, number one, focus them on what we do know about God. And I think that's what you said, Pastor Scott. He is loving. He is gracious. That's what we do know. Um, number two is, and you just said this, Pastor, um, is that remind them that there is hope. 
there is future riches coming for those who believe yeah. in Christ Jesus. So what do we know? God is good, and there is hope that is only found in Christ. But also, and you said this too, Pastor Scott, that this reveals sin. So there might be, maybe at the appropriate time, not that first counseling session, to instruct them to walk in obedience, to guide them towards that. So be clear, God is good. There is hope. But let me challenge you in this area of sin, brother or sister, that you can grow in. Um, Pastor Brian, can you add anything else to that? Yeah, I think there's a, a very compassionate process that you can lead somebody through as you, you think about this kind of thing, because it is easy for, you know, we give them truth, which yeah. we have done, and you give them, you, know, you point out sin and that kind of thing. But, uh, you know, doubt is a doorway into the throne room of God. You know, you see all the Psalms where you have somebody who starts in the questioning God, and particularly Psalm 73, where he's, he's questioning the goodness of God. You know, why, why have I kept myself pure and, and all these other people run riot and they sin with abandon and they seem to have a life of ease or they seem to get away with things. And, and so uh, they're wondering about the justice of God. You know, the psalmist there says... Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure. In vain I have washed my hands in innocence. But so it's a doorway. It's a doorway of honesty, first of all. You know, that I encourage anybody who is experiencing uh, questions about God or doubt about God to, to just be honest with God, first of all. And as you start going to him in prayer, you know, it's also a doorway into worship. You know, the psalmist there also says in verse 21, when my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered i was senseless and ignorant i was a brute beast before you yet i am always with you you hold me by my right hand you guide me with your counsel and afterward you take me into glory uh, he starts getting kind of a, a a sense of what god is doing and he says that you know i wasn't thinking right you know then i started thinking about god in verse 17 he said when i entered the sanctuary of god i understood their final destiny so it's, it's through becoming honest with god starting to worship god starting to see you know where he's going with this and who he is and finally that brings a doorway to contentment at the end of the passage he says whom have i in heaven but you and be and being with you i desire nothing on earth my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. At the end, he says, I have made the sovereign God my refuge. So somebody goes from doubting God to making the sovereign God their refuge. Right. It, so that, that's helpful. It okay. sounds like, I think maybe the question is around, around where I'm going through this difficult situation and it's unfair. Mm. And... It's, it's not happening the way I think it should happen. And this other, maybe this other person's being mean to me or not behaving the way God would want them to be, and I'm suffering because of it. Well, I think there's a lot of verses that tells us to suffer as Christ suffered, and that was the most unjust, right? right. But in First Peter chapter 2, he, he goes to say that he tells us to trust ourselves to the one who judges righteously. But thinking from a church standpoint of view, if this is... If, if you're suffering unjustly and you're members of a church, more the reason to come to counseling to get help because if somebody's offending you, sinning against you, that, that's really the first step of church discipline. Why we would, and church discipline is given to, re, to restore people to right order with God. And so I think so, sometimes this happens where a couple will come into our offices, and this has been going on for years. And someone has been heavy-handed or, or, or un unjust to the other person, and nobody would move on it. And, but finally, she or he comes in, and, and now we have a situation we can start to deal with, and we can work through it and find where the sin is. And if that person doesn't repent, then we start a process that God laid down to bring them to repentance. So I, I think sometimes I find people that are stuck in this and they start to question God, but yet they didn't take God's steps. Mm -hmm. they, didn't, they didn't do it God's way and say, I'm going to go to my pastors um, or, or another godly member in the church to help with us so we can mm -hmm. kind of confront this sin that's, that's in our life because you just stay back. That's why God's word is so perfect for this because, you know, well, hey, if you're in sin and someone comes to you, 
and you repent, you've won your brother. If not, you go get someone else because God has a process for this. Otherwise, you're just going to go, where's God? Where's Mm -hmm. God? Where's, Mm -hmm. and you, and you begin to doubt the goodness of God. So there's, there's, I I don't know who's, what's driving this question, but um, boy, take steps to, to, not to get yourself vindicated. Right. Well, I'm going to go to counseling now. I'm calling Brian tomorrow, and mm-hmm. I'm going to get my husband or wife. That's not. The goal is to have a godly marriage that right. honors God. So take the appropriate, humble steps right. to get the help. Um, and then your view of God will begin to transform back to the Scriptures because you did it His way right. instead of your ways. Instead of manipulating somebody, right. do it God's way. And I think that's where the pastor comes and is very important is to help them see clearly the biblical steps of restoration, which yeah. involve confession, repentance, and forgiveness. Yeah. And it seems like in the midst of those troubles, those things are forgotten. Yeah. And by bringing Scripture to light, those things, hopefully, Lord willing, are remembered and practiced. Um, this next question, this might be our last one. It is. Uh, it is. <laughs> um, but I think it's a very important one. And, and the reason I say it's important is I think a lot of people do indeed um, suffer from depression, anxiety. And I read on, read in the news um, that a lot of people, even with coronavirus, being isolated by yourself mm-hmm. is leading to suicide. Um, mm-hmm. I've had friends that have committed suicide. And one of the last straws on the camel's back for many of people who commit suicide is losing a job. And so in the current environment that we find ourselves today, maybe someone at home might be in this situation where they are feeling isolated um, they are on the precipice of perhaps losing their job. And so for that person, and here's the question, is how do you as pastors, first, do you ever face guilt, depression, or anxiety? Um, how do you combat feelings of personal guilt, depression, and anxiety in your life? Do you ever feel overwhelmed by guilt? If so, how should one combat this guilt? I think it's a great question, and I'm sorry, I only gave you a couple minutes to answer. Everybody take a shot at this real quick. Okay, uh, I would say, uh, remember, number one, that you are guilty of way more than you can ever imagine. You know, we, yeah. we have more guilt, we, we have hidden sins that we never even think about. Uh, and the, the second thing to remember, though, is that Jesus or God put a nail through your guilt. Mm. And Colossians chapter 3 talks about how he, he nailed mm-hmm. the debt to the cross in mm. our Lord Jesus Christ. And so uh, it's, it's a process, you know, coming back to the gospel. Uh, and I think we're to remember our guilt, remember our sins in order to forget them, mm. to leave them at the cross mm. and mm. press on, as Paul says, toward the upward call in Jesus Christ to forgetting what lies behind. I think a lot of people understand that Jesus atoned for sin, but he also paved a way to remove guilt by resting in Christ. And I think a lot of people miss out on that soul care by knowing that Jesus can take away your guilt. Go ahead, Pastor Jason. Yeah, yeah, Romans 8, 1. There's no, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Things came to my mind were, were the Word of God is a, is a comfort when we're, when we're struggling with, with such feelings. Psalm 119.50, uh, my comfort and my affliction, your Word has revived me. Mm-hmm. And so run to the Word. Get, you know, seek the Lord in His Word. Prayer, um, we've talked about earlier from Philippians. Uh, the church discipline passages, reconcile. Sometimes unreconciled relationships are, are oppressive to us. Mm. And so the mm. Bible says if we're aware of that, whichever direction it's from, if we're aware of it, Matthew 5 and Matthew 18, take the steps to reconcile things. And very closely related, I think, is forgiveness. It's so huge. You know, the Lord's Prayer, he teaches us, Lord, forgive us our trespasses. Um, and then it connects it to as we forgive those who've trespassed against us. Mm. Then after the prayer, he adds two verses on that subject of forgiveness. Mm. Um, and, and if we're harboring unforgiveness, it's, gonna, it's just going to weigh us down. We, we've we've got to go to the Lord, trusting, of course, to forgive us our sins, but then also release 
those who've sinned against us. And I, I think that plays into it oftentimes. So knowing that our Savior has removed our guilt, reconciling relationships to restore. Pastor Scott. Yeah, um, man, that, those are excellent answers. I would just add this, that I think it was, I think you used three terms, guilt, depression, and anxiety. None of that comes from God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he doesn't guilt us. He doesn't cause us to be depressed. He doesn't give us anxiety. Mm-hmm. So first to recognize those things don't come from God. Mm-hmm. So as I have struggled with all of those things, as all Christians, if we're honest, have, we go, we should stop and say, well, wait a minute. That's not coming from God. Mm-hmm. That, that's coming from my flesh or mm-hmm. Satan is trying to tempt me or pounce on me like a a lion seeking to devour me in some way. And so first I think I have to recognize my guilt and depression and anxiety is not from God. Mm. And and Brian alluded to these verses. Paul, one who had his hand in the death of Christians, Mm. he, he said, not that I have already obtained it or I've already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that which, which also has laid hold of by Christ Jesus. And so he goes on forgetting what lies in the past. And that, that's hard. I mean, we probably all have things in our life that will kind of resurrect itself every once in a while. We'll go, oh, I don't know if you ever shudder at your sins of the past. I do. I go, oh. And I go, okay, whoa, 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 Lord. You said you forgave me. You said you take my sins as far as the east as to the west and the deep, bury them in the deep. So wait a minute, that's not you bringing it up. Mm. It's either me, my flesh, that I want to revisit that sin, or I'm falling under some temptation. And so I have to recognize that. And, and, and Bobby, I've dealt with this countless times in my own life and in, in my office with, with so many people that you have to realize, you have to say, Lord, I, I want to thank you right now. This is the way you beat depression. (laughs) I want to thank you right now that you sent your son, Mm. you placed him on a cross, you Mm. nailed him to it, and with it you nailed that sin Mm. that you're thinking of, that depression, that guilt, that anxiety. You nailed it. You put it on him. And and Brian so rightly referred to Colossians that he he took it away. Mm. He nailed it to the cross and took it away. And I, what we do, Bobby, is we, we now take a temptation, we now take an anxiety, a depression, a guilt in that maybe Satan was trying to use against us or our flesh of some sort was trying to use it against us, and we turn it into a praise service. Mm. Because, and I, I, look, I've struggled with these things as a pastor, and I think all of us would, would admit to those things. And if we don't turn that into, wow, God, mm. you forgave me of that. Right. I am free of that. I am forgiven I stand in blameless, that's what the Bible calls us, blameless before the Father because you forgave me. Uh, You will not beat depression. You will not beat anxiety. You will not beat guilt till you find yourself at the foot of the cross going, that's dead. He killed it. And, and that's the gospel. That's, that's the gospel lived out in our life. And otherwise, I see, I see too often, too many Christians carrying this burden. Do you want mm. Jesus to come back? Mm. Do you want him to do it all again? Was his death not sufficient? Mm. And, and it's really what we're saying. Yeah. Instead of saying, oh, Jesus, you died for that. Yeah. And, and giving it to him. And look, let's be honest. That doesn't happen once. Mm. I, I think it's now a practice. Yeah. Mm. As we get plagued with those things, at times we have to practice it. Oh, Lord, you forgave me of this. I am so grateful that I, I will never see the condemnation, Romans 8, for that. And I'll never be separated from your love, end of Romans 8, because your son's death. Mm. And that's the gospel. And that's what regenerates us. This is why we tell people, and everybody's been saying it down from Christendom, preach the gospel to yourself. Because yeah. otherwise, depression's going to preach to you. Right. Anxiety's going to preach to you. Yeah. Guilt and doubt are going to preach to you. Yeah. And so... Brian said it earlier, doubt, no, those things should open the gate right to the throne yeah. as a Christian. And you go, oh, there's my Lord. Yeah. And you run to him mm. uh, for that. And I, and I think at the root of a lot of this, too, is people do not feel valuable when yeah. they're alone or depressed or anxious. Yeah. But wait a second. 
that God of the universe chose me, yeah. died on a cross for me. So even if this rest of the world rejects you and mm -hmm. does not approve you, you have the approval of God through Christ. Okay. I mean, amen. It's a great thought. Um, I think that's a good note for us to end on tonight. And thank you for all those who've logged in and checked out our live stream tonight. Um, we're going to have our next live stream Sunday morning at 1030. Be sure to check that out. Come early. We'll, the stream will be set up at 1015. So log in early. Get your kids ready. Open your Bibles. Be prepared. And again, if you're one of those people who resonates with some of the things that we talked about and you want to talk to someone about it, please call our church offices, send us an email. We would love to talk with you, pray with you. And even if you're a person in need who needs help in any way, uh, we'd be happy to do our best to meet that need. So um, please um, contact us if you're in that situation. Let's pray, and then we'll end our stream. Lord, thank you so much for this time together to remind us of the richness of Christ. Um, and thank you for revealing yourself to us through Scripture, Lord. Help us to grow in confidence of Christ. Help us to trust and obey. And help us to live in victory, Lord, in our daily lives. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Good night.